Well, today we're going to talk about intercession and just look at Jesus Christ as the great intercessor who has come to give us life. Now, before we get into the message of intercession and what it truly is uh, in the church and what it is all about, uh, I would like to pray for the people that are in Florida. There are people in our web church in that area and people, um, even if they're in our web church or not, doesn't matter. There are people going through difficult times. And I would like to pray for them. And I think as a family, <coughs> let us just uh, gather around this truth and let us just pray for people that are going through a difficult time. And I was thinking of people on all the islands, uh, you know, on the way to Florida and the people in um, uh, now I forgot the nation's name. Cuba. The people in Cuba. I was just thinking of people that are under communism and poor and has got nothing and they've lost everything. And on the prayers that I've heard people pray, they pray for America and the nations associated with America. And what about the people in Cuba? You know, aren't they also worth the same as the people in America and the people in Florida? Didn't they have the same price that was paid for them? The same death that was died was also died for them? You see, we, we, we need to realize that in the cross, we've got a different way of looking at people. Our, we, are not, we don't use our nationality. We don't use um, our uh, 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 ethnicity, our political views. None of those things to realize the color of our skin, to... to found the platform from who we are. There's only one platform and that is the truth revealed in the resurrection of Jesus who shows what humans are when we behold a human at the right hand of God. Amen. Uh, but I just feel in my heart a passion for the people going through through that. Uh, of the previous storm I didn't know a lot. I was uh, in um, Brazil and now with this one I could watch, watch the news and just see what was going on. And uh, it looks as if it is weakening uh, towards uh, Florida there. But let us just pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your love and your grace that you have for humans. And I thank you, Father, that all the people <coughs> that had their houses destroyed, their, had loved ones that passed away, got injured, lost their motor vehicles, had great that and that are going through great difficulty uh, because of the storm on the islands the people in cuba the people that are suffering the people in the keys at the moment where that storm is i thank you father for your love and your grace and your goodness i thank you father for the resurrection power of jesus christ and the first thing that i want to pray for every person that is in that area and experiencing this i pray that the revelation that your life is not found in the abundance of your possessions will be of such a magnitude in your heart that you have peace. That's the first thing I want to pray. And as a web church, we agree on that. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you that that which people truly need is what you provide in Jesus Christ. And you, that you have come in Christ and you saw that there was a gap between what people experience and what you have planned for them. And that gap was in their understanding and in their belief. And you've bridged that in Christ, in bringing truth to humanity. And I come and I thank you, Father, that I can pray for every person that is uh, facing that storm. Those 
Christians or those people, not just Christians, but people, humans that are facing fear, that don't know what to do, that are sitting in a house with a, a wind of 100 miles an hour blowing over the roof and uh, just with that massive noise around them and not knowing what the storm surge will do, knowing none of those things and uh, where the, the weather forecast don't actually know what's going on. But we thank you, Father, that every one of those people will experience a revelation in some form or fashion and an enlightened mind that life is not found in the abundance of possessions. Neither is life found in if the storm comes or not. That's the first thing. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And the second thing, I thank you, Father, that I can pray for the preachers, preachers and Christians in the areas where, uh, where they are going through this difficult time, that they will not live in doubt, but that they will live in a true understanding of your love for all, all people. And they will not in this time wonder, what have they done wrong? Is this a curse? Is it the devil? What is going on? Thank you, Father, that your spirit brings clarity there and that we just want to say, as the church, as humans, we accept that truth about you in our lives. And Father, I want to then thank you that we can just declare that signs, wonders and miracles takes place. And thirdly, we want to thank you, Father, that we are open for signs, wonders and miracles. And I thank you, Lord, that a miracle happens in, of your resurrection power as pertains to this storm where your life and your goodness is towards this, towards this storm and that it can end and the destruction can end, and that is what we are open for, in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. <clears throat> you know, when it comes to, to prayer, many times we've just had such a burden on our hearts. You know, do we pray enough? Do we pray right? How, how should we pray? What should we pray? And especially with storms like this. We've had a discussion in our web pastors meeting about this. Some people say we must bind the storm. Others say... Uh, you know, it is a devil, it is a demon. And then I find it's amazing that uh, you find people with 250,000 followers on their Facebook page, you know, just come out and, and, and it's almost as if, if you don't bind the storm, then there's something wrong with you. And then you find people other places that say, um, you know, we should not even pray about things like that. What shall we do? Well, this is my answer to that. If you feel a passion and an unction in your heart, to pray and uh, pray against that, then you need to follow what is in your heart because the gifts of the Spirit and the power of grace is through the belief and through the heart. And if that is what you feel to do, that is what you do. And then those that don't feel that they want to stand up on a public platform or stand up and say, I bind the storm or I end the storm because you don't know if something will happen, you feel unsure about that, you stand with those that feel in their heart. They want to do something like that, and that's it. That's how it works. We find uh, the gifts of the Spirit. One person, he reads the Scripture, and he understands what is there, and he wants to teach that, and he's got a gift to do that. And then those who don't feel that they are teachers, what do you do? You stand with the one that teaches in the Spirit. Amen. A person who prophesies. How do you, how do you go about that? Maybe you don't prophesy the bible says does all do miracles does all have the gift of faith does all have all those things no all people don't but we stand together as a family and we thank the lord for what god does put 
in people's hearts. And that is the simplicity on how this whole thing works. If somebody says he feels in his heart a grace perspective, man, I want to pray and I want to thank God for protection or whatever. Do you know where my heart is? I say amen. That is how it is. And if I feel I want to pray for certain things and I've got faith and a persuasion in my heart, a strong persuasion, or we can call it a strong expectation, if you want to use correct words, on uh, a change that will come take place in a nation or to stand up against something, or then I just say, listen, man, just this is born from grace. It's not born from the law. Let's stand together. Let's flow together and thank God for what he's doing in our lives. And I also believe, as Christians, the life that God has come to share with us, how does it manifest in our lives except through actions? So once you feel that unction in your heart and the power of the Holy Spirit, you give over to it. You say, Lord, this is from you and my members is available for that. And as our hearts are open for that, we find the Holy Spirit brings forth power in our lives. We give to the poor. We help the people that are in flooded areas. We help the poor. We, we are kind. We are good because that is our nature. That is the new man that we really are. Amen. Now, I'm going to look at a passage in the Bible in Isaiah 52, or 59 and verse 2. And we're going to look at intercession. And I think in this time, it's a good topic, a good thing to talk about, to talk about intercession because many times we would think should we not be interceding for people going through difficult times how should we pray what shall we do and then we've got a scripture in Isaiah that talks about an intercessor where the Bible says that there was no intercessor um, and that God had to remedy that that and make a plan about that so um, what is our job as pertaining to intercession now I've had, to be honest, uh, just share my heart with you. I've had an issue with intercession. There was a time when I believed in intercession in a strong way and believed that you have to stand up and pray and stand in the gap for certain people. <coughs> and um, I mean, my sister is here with me in the studio today. And I mean, she knows me well. She knows on the outreaches we've been at and how we've interceded and how we've prayed and done all those things. And uh, intercession actually was something that I felt obligated to do and I felt guilty if I wouldn't intercede. And I was thinking that I had to intercede for my nation in prayer and I have to stand in prayer. And I felt guilty if I didn't do that. Now, uh, as a start, I want to say to you, I do believe that there is something like intercession, but we have to define it and we have to explain it from the finished work of Jesus' perspective. And we cannot do intercession in any other different way than what Jesus did. Or let me put it this way, our intercession, if you want to call it that, will only be uh, an extension or an outflow of what he has done. And that is all. You know, I've, I was thinking of uh, people in, um, in Florida, for instance. People are going through earthquakes and all those things. South Africa, we sit in a severe, severe drought in the Western Cape. And I was thinking, if I must go every day, um, you know, and pray, asking God to send rain, asking God to send rain, and then make a prayer chain and see if I can get as many people as possible to pray and ask God. To me, there's no family logic in it. I don't understand that. 
I think, <coughs> like Dalian said, my sister, she said, if there's one thing she knows is that God knew about this and He knows about that, this more than anybody. So it is not as if we must now try and remind God and through our prayer, either through sin confession or uh, just many people saying something together until we've worked up enough unity that something must happen or as if God is saying, well, I cannot do anything in the earth unless somebody asks and says, you know, uh, there must be a, you ask for it, then I cannot do anything. And the Bible says there's no one righteous, no, not one. Yet God came and he brought righteousness and life to the earth by himself. And we're going to read that today. We're going to see that he saw that there was no one. Yet in the presence of no one being free, no one being righteous, he came and he took salvation upon himself and brought forth salvation in the earth. So to me, when I look at intercession, when I look at prayer, it cannot be defined in, let's see how many people we can get together and pray so that God can do something. Now, I don't say I understand everything, but one thing I do understand is that um, that doesn't make sense. It, it, there's just not, there's not a logic about it. If we look at um, Elijah, he prayed and it didn't rain for three years. And then a normal man like us, the Bible says, and then he prayed, one man, and the drought was broken after three years. Now we know that it was a type and a... But still we can see that God can just simply hear one man. Now we're going to look at intercession and what it truly is. Now I want to read from Isaiah 59 and verse 2. It says here, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Now that passage has condemned so many people for so many years. And what it says is that your iniquities have separated you or brought a separation between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Now that is a terrible verse if you look at, like, look at it like that. It's almost like the way it is if you just read it just like that it is without reading any context it would be well the reason why my son doesn't have food and the reason why my son is going through a difficult time is because he didn't do what I tell him to do. Therefore, I willfully refuse to help him. Now, that is not what that passage says. That passage read just like that brought a salvation message which says, here is God, here is man, and sin has actually separated God and man, and in order for this sin, or in order for the separation to be taken away, sin has to be paid for. Sin has to be punished. That would be the only way to take this out of the way. And then once sin is punished in somebody's body, then the anger of God is satisfied, and once the anger of God is satisfied, then there can be unity between God and man and the separation can be taken away. And then that separation is still not taken away unless I have confessed my sins and continue not to sin. I'm such a weak message, <laughs> you know. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm still coughing a bit here. Um, but <coughs> if we look at separation between us and God and that separation is sin, and the punishment for sin because God is wrath or angry, and now the anger, that actually makes the anger in the heart of God the real problem. 
because God is angry and because and the, there's a reason why he's angry and because of this anger in his heart he cannot bless man because we've transgressed his laws now let us look at this passage in context and we're going to see that that is not what that passage says and we're going to see as we read the whole of Isaiah 59 and into Isaiah 61 uh, Isaiah 60 we're going to see that this passage actually says that there is no separation between us and God. Yet there is a verse that says there is a separation, but that verse is explained in many verses after that to, ex to show us what this separation actually is. Today's message I'm going to show you that there is no separation between us and God, and the only separation is an illusion of a separation, because of a wrong belief and that God had to come and intervene or intercede and bring a rest or a break to that system in ending that system by bringing truth to humanity. Let me say it again. I'm going to show you today that there is no separation between man and God. God has showed that through many years, and we're going to look at that. But the separation that we experience, the experiential separation, is not on account of God being separate from us, but it is because of a wrong belief about God. When we started to live in the illusion of a separation or in the fear of iniquity or of the law system. And that God looked at that and said, that is an injustice, and that he came and he was the intercessor, and he actually came in and interceded, another nice word for that intercession would be intervened, and he brought rest and ended that wrong belief by bringing the truth about the union between God and man. And as we behold that truth, we find that we are now saved from this experience of separation. Okay, now, <coughs> you might say, Bertie, but where do you get what you're saying? Let's read verse 1. Now, I've just read verse 2. It says, but your iniquity have separated you between me and you and all those things. But let's read verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. Okay? So here he says that the hand of the Lord is not shortened. That word shortened means to be impatient, to be vexed, or to be grieved. So what he's saying here, he's saying to people, he's saying to Israel, the true context is not the world here. The true context in its original setting is to Israel. He says to Israel, listen, you're going through a very difficult time. You're going through a hard time. Your perspective of God is... He does not see, he does not hear. Why? Because of the iniquity or the wrong belief that is inside you. You have partaken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and from that perspective, you are afraid of God. There's a distance in your mind between you and God. But, let me tell you something. The Lord's hand is not shortened. The Lord's work, his hand, he is not impatient in his dealings with you. He's not vexed, neither is he grieved. Then it says his ear is not heavy to hear. That word heavy means to be 
uh, grievous again to be overburdened or to be burdensome. It says that his ear is not burdened. He's not tired. He's not a place where he doesn't want to help. He is there. He's not a God that doesn't hear your prayer. He's not a God that is not there. He is there. And he's hearing everything you are saying. And he is intervening. He is there to help. But from your perspective, you are not seeing the help that God is giving. Because God sees the true need. God sees where the true help is. And that is the perspective from where he helps and aids you. Now, I want to read verse 8. <coughs> it says, the way of peace they have not known. Now, I'm going to read, let's read verse 2 and then verse 8. It says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, um, that he will not hear. The way of peace they have not known. Now, it's explaining verse 2 here, and what he means by they're not hearing God, they're not experiencing God. He says, The way of peace they have not known, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whosoever goes therein shall not know peace. Now he's explaining to they're on a wrong path. It's not that God doesn't answer their prayer. They're hurting themselves. They're killing themselves. That is what he's saying. Therefore, is judgment far from us, neither does justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold obscurity for brightness, but we walk in darkness. Do you, can you remember a passage in the Bible where Jesus, where the Bible says that the people walked in darkness, but they thought they had the light? Do you know a passage in the Bible where Jesus said, you are the blind leading the blind? And where in this passage, if you just read on, he refers to, uh, in verse 10, he says, we grope for the wall like the blind, and we... Um, <coughs> Grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at the noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Jesus said that the, the, there are blind people. You know, people that are blind. People that are going through, through what, thinking they see, but they are blind. He was talking about the teachers of the law. He was talking about... The Pharisees, that is what he was talking about here. And this is the setting wherein Isaiah 59 is written. He says, he says here, um, we will roar, we, we all roar like bears and mourn soar like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. So these people look for salvation, they look for God, but they're looking for God in the law. They're looking for God in works righteousness and God, from the beginning, has said, I will not give life to works righteousness. That is the wrath of God. That is the vengeance of God. He's against that. Yet, he has not separated himself from man. And that we've seen from Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned, did God ever separate him from Adam and Eve? Never. When God said to them, they don't have access to the garden, he never said, you don't have access to me. Even when they were outside of the garden, God spoke to them. Even outside of the garden, God walked with Noah. Even outside of the garden, we find that um, God spoke to Moses. 
God spoke to David. God spoke to so many people, even outside of the garden. So it is not as if God was ever separated from man. We find even in Exodus 34, and I've preached about that so many times, when the people were in great sin, when they were in great difficulty, what did God do? He said, listen, I am a merciful and gracious God. And then Moses said, well, if we found grace in your sight, come and dwell amongst us. And what did God do? He built a tabernacle, he built a temple in the midst of the sinful, stiff-necked Jewish people. And he lived amongst them. And he, from, he, from the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God moved with them, showing a voice, showing the truth that God's view about man has not changed. God loves man. God is there for man. God is always with man. He, his sin has not separate, brought separation in the heart of God. The sin was to actually believe that there, to believe in a system where you see yourself separate from God, wherein you through your works try to attain unto God, like in the days of Nimrod, when they built the Tower of Babel, where they say man through his own ability will reach the level of God. Now, if you say through my ability I want to reach the level of God, what are you saying? You are saying there is a separation between me and God. That is what you are saying. It's like Adam and Eve, they were ashamed. Why? Because we are naked. That word ashamed there comes from fear in their hearts. They, they were ashamed. Like somebody would have a big car and stop at a place and you must stop next to that person with a car that is just a cheap car and an old car. And now you feel ashamed because you feel I don't measure up. And God had to come and show that He can actually, out of sin and out of death, show forth that man can be in the equality of God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what He's come to do. That is what He has come to show in His cross. And in doing that, He covered the distance. He bridged the gap, the distance that there was in the wrong belief that was in the heart of man through the devil. And that is called intercession, but we will still get to that. Now, verse um, 11. Let me just quickly say, just make sure it is on, uh, on cool. Then it will work. Okay, right. So, it is so hot in here in Leonard's just keeping putting the heater hotter and hotter. Not on cool. <laughs> you fixing it? Hallelujah. She felt in the heart something's wrong, but uh, you just needed some help there. <laughs> now I'm blushing. Can you see that? Right. It's, it's hot in here. I think it's about 30 degrees Celsius, and I'm blushing. Right. Let's get back to the message. Um, verse 11, it says, um, let, verse 13, it says that the in transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. So what he says is, these people are perceiving God as not hearing, as God not speaking to them. Why? Because they have conceived and they are uttering words of falsehood. 
which is what the Pharisees were teaching, what the Sadducees was teaching all the time. And then verse 14, And judgment is turned away backward, and justice stands afar off, for truth has fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. It says these people are not walking in truth. God says, you are saying, I'm not answering. You are saying, I'm not there. You are saying that th that is their experience. Now, why I'm saying is, it sounds as if in verse 2, as if God says, your iniquity has caused me to separate me from you. But verse 1 counters that. Verse 1 says, no, my hand is not shortened to save. I am here. I'm not far. But you, in your wrong belief, are actually in a place where you are experiencing distance. And you're saying God's not answering, God's not far. So what was bringing forth the separation wasn't a physical separation or a psychological separation from God's side towards man. God was always there. Amen. And it goes on and it says, Yes, truth, has fa fa yes, truth fails. And he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. And the law saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, in his righteousness it sustained him. Now what is God saying here? He says, God saw... And this is intercession, people. God saw that he was for man and close to man, with man. Like a, a, a Paul said, he said to the people, the, the Greek philosophers, he says, God is not far from any one of us. Yet they experienced him as far from them. Why? Because of a wrong belief. Because of the belief that he is a God that is in the skies and now we are people on the earth and we need to please this God or we need to build a tower reaching unto God and everything started from a consciousness of lack, a consciousness of distance. And then God wanted to bring forth truth. And in bringing forth the truth, he ended the man that's born from the lie. And as he brought forth truth in the street, as he brought forth truth amongst all people what happens and what takes place as this truth is there people can now be born from the truth realize how close they are who God is what man is and now in that truth they can be born from that truth and then experientially they will not experience God as far anymore but in order for that to take place an intercessor was needed and that intercessor, intercessor wasn't a prayer warrior. I'm not against prayer. Please hear my heart. The Bible says pray always. So I'm not against prayer. But what God was saying is, His eyes wasn't going to and fro on the earth and looking, are there people that pray? That is not what He's saying. Let me read verse 13 again. In, in transgressing and lying against the Lord and in departing from our God, speaking oppressions and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. And judgment is turned away backward, and justice stands afar off, 
for truth is fallen in the streets and equity cannot enter. So why, why was all of this there? Why was it that people didn't experience God as close? Because they had no truth. The truth about how much God loves them, the truth about who they really are, the truth about God's plan for man wasn't there anymore. It has fallen and God had to come and make truth public again. <clears throat> it says, yes, truth has failed. And then it saw, and the Bible says here, the second part of verse 15, and the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no judgment. That judgment doesn't talk about punishment. That judgment talks about that righteousness is not prevailing in the earth. And what he defines as righteousness is that his good deed that he wants to do uh, towards people, the good that he wants to bring towards people, it is not there. It is simply not there. It is not manifesting at all. And he wants that. He wants to see that. He wants that power to be in the lives of people, yet that power is not in the lives of the people. And now it says here, and he saw that there was no man. And he wondered that there was, and it says here, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. So what he's saying is, is he saw no man in righteousness. He saw people are suffering. He saw no man being blessed with his goodness and experiencing it. And then he wondered and he said, there is no intercessor. There's no one that can intervene. There's no one that can bring truth. I want to read it from the message. It says here, um, everything is fine, my love. Thank you. It says, he couldn't believe what he saw. Not a soul around to correct this awful situation. Now listen to this. He couldn't believe what he saw. Not a soul around to correct the awful situation. That's what an intercessor is. What is an intercessor? It's a man who could solve the problem of people believing in the law and not believing in grace. He needed a man to save people from the lie and to declare the truth boldly. Do you know that there was no man that could be that intercessor except Jesus himself? Because the truth that had to be revealed is that God can save a man out of physical death, raise him up in immortality and put him at the right hand of God. That is the truth. Now that truth no man could show except one man, Jesus Christ. And that's why it says in verse 17, um, verse 16 it says, And he saw that there was no man and wondered what there, why there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm, the arm of the Lord, brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, and the helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and was clothed with zeal as a cloak. According, listen to this, according to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? So, What's happening here? 
let me just take everything together. In verse 1, God says, the arm of the Lord is not too far, or, or the hand of the Lord is not uh, too far to save. He is, he is close to us. His ear is not overburdened. He is not irritated with us. He's with us. He is the Savior. He is the one that promises life. He is the one that promises uh, freedom and joy and wherein he, he promises a life free from the fruit of the flesh. He promises that, but man couldn't see that. Man couldn't believe that. Why? Because man was at a place where he didn't believe truth. He didn't believe who he was. He didn't believe why God made him. None of that. And from the fall, from the day where he was partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, his understanding was darkened. The, 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 the glasses through which he was looking was that which sees God in a different light than the truth, which sees himself not for who he truly is. And from that perspective, um, man, in, in, in the whole of the Old Testament, you can find so many places where, where God was accused as the oppressor, as the one that brings a difficult time, as the one who punishes, as the one who beats up. Meantime, God was close. God was a savior. God was there. He was living amongst the Jewish people. His presence was there. He loved the people. But their iniquity, their own wrong belief, from that perspective, they were looking for light. Where did they look for light? The Bible says there's a way that looks as if it is true, but it is not. The Bible says there's a way that looks as if it leads unto life, but the end is death. What is that way? It's the way of works righteousness, church. That is what it was. And that's what these people were. And God looked at man in the law with a darkened mind, walking in darkness as blind people in noonday. Meaning that in noonday, talking about what reality is, the, the reality is the light of the love of God is towards humanity and God sees man as blind people walking in noonday, falling around, stumbling. Why? Because there is no truth that they can see. They don't see truth. And God had to enter that darkness, enter them where they are, into their lives and show forth the truth in their lives. And in doing that, He took captivity captive and He gave gifts unto man. In doing that, he came and destroyed the work of the devil, which was to deceive the people of God unto death. That's what he did. But God, when he saw all of that, he said, Where is the man that can stop this? I see no man. He says here in verse 16 in the message, it says, He couldn't believe what he saw. God saw man in his darkness. He says, I can't believe what I'm seeing. No soul around to correct this awful situation. And that is according to, um, to, to the King James. It says there was no intercessor. What is an intercessor? An intercessor was the one who could correct the situation. So, when Jesus became the intercessor, he took the salvation plan on him and he brought forth salvation to us. And in bringing forth the salvation, he had to bring forth truth. And the truth is how God really feels about man 
and who we really are. And he came to bring forth truth and he revealed truth in the death and in the resurrection of Christ. And in doing that, in his death and in his resurrection, he conquered our lies and he conquered the death of our lie so that we can believe in truth now. We can have a belief that's based on truth. And from there, God manifests his life. That is what it's all about. Amen. Right, now, um, <clears throat> if we can go to chapter 60 and verse 1, it just all flows. It says, Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. Can you see that? He says, Arise, shine, for your light is come. And he's prophesying about Christ. He's prophesying about the intercessor. Now how do we do intercession today? The only way wherein we can be true intercessors is in what I'm doing now. I'm an intercessor in what I'm doing. In teaching the truth about how God brought life and where we go and look at people and we see where they walk, still walk in the darkness and we can tell them, behold the light, arise and shine, for your light has come. And we bring the gospel, correction of belief. That is intercessory work. It is as if God is saying, is there a man that can cure this situation? Jesus came and he ended the situation where humanity was living in darkness. And then... After his resurrection, he poured out the Holy Spirit upon people and now we can go and simply declare the gospel. And as we simply declare the gospel and preach the good news, that is intercessory work. That is standing in the great intercessor and that is how the intercessor continues to make his intercession. We've made intercession as somebody standing between man and God, pleading with God. In the meantime, it is actually someone who can resolve the problem. And that is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And here we even see it in, in Ephesians 4.18. It says, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, or separated from the life of God, the exper experience of His life, through the ignorance that was in them because of the blindness of their heart. Can you see there? where it talks about a separation. The separation is experiential knowledge of the very life of God. Why? Through the wrong belief. But now it comes in verse 21, Colossians, he says, um, 1 verse 21, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. What was the wicked works? The wicked works was the blindness of your belief and the ignorance that you were walking in. Yet now he has reconciled. Isn't that beautiful? That is the work of the intercessor. When we preach the gospel of reconciliation, we are taking the work of the intercessor and we're preaching the work of the intercessor. You know, the truth is this. There is just one intercessor, and that is Jesus. That is the, that is the intercessor. And as the intercessor lives in us, we go and preach Christ in us brings the gospel of how God made intercession, which was solving the problem. God says there was no intercessor. Therefore, he took on the helmet of salvation. What does that mean? The helmet, the mind of bringing eternal life to man. 
the breastplate of righteousness, saying, my heart is covered with what is right, and what is right is that they are set free from this lies and deception. And I like that passage where it says, in verse 18, it says, and according to their deeds I will repay them. What is he talking about? And this is beautiful when I studied this out, and this is how I see it. God said that he will repay the old system according to its deeds. What was the deeds of the old system? The old law system stopped fruit bearing in the lives of the people of God. Now God says, I will repay you with the very same thing, which is what? I will stop the fruit bearing of the law system, which is bearing forth the fruit of the flesh. So what he's saying is, you stopped my people from bearing fruit, so I will stop the law from bearing fruit, the fruit of the flesh in my people. I will repay them. By what? By stopping its effect. And that is the life God has given to us. And that is the true intercessor. So I want to say to you that arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. When we are in our nation going through difficult times, for those that are in South Africa, um, uh, when it comes to farming and droughts and all of those kind of things, how can we be true intercessors if you want to be an intercessor? Now, there is not a thing where the Bible calls you are an intercessor or the gift of intercession or something like that. I believe all of us that are sharing the gospel of grace, we are an extension or that is how the true intercessor is bringing forth his life and manifesting his cure for the problem. So true intercession in the case of what about a drought would be teaching people that their life is not in the abundance of their possessions, preaching that message, encouraging people that there is a life greater than uh, drought or all those kind of things. And from that truth, the Bible finds, says, and clearly it declares signs, wonders and miracles and signs unto this resurrection life manifest and we find the drought being broken. Amen. So never again feel guilty because you don't feel to pray through the night when people are in difficult times. If you feel in your heart, let me just share some truth with someone or let me send a link to someone about the message of truth. That is already solving the problem, bringing the truth of the gospel to people's lives. That is true intercession. Glory, glory, glory. So let all guilt fall off your back. Don't walk in guilt anymore when it comes to prayer or any of those things. Alberti, what about prayer? Very simple. Pray. If you feel to pray, pray. I feel to pray often. And I go and I, um, I don't kneel at my bed or anything like that. What I do is I will go and I will sit down and I will say, God, I want to speak to you about so-and-so. Thank you, Father. They are going through a difficult time and normally my prayer would be, I was even when I was earlier today, I prayed about the people in Cuba. And I was sitting and I was saying, Lord, um, in whatever way I can impact those people's lives, I want to do it. If I can preach there, if I can somehow get a message in there, I, I don't know. I, that's just what I felt in my heart. That is how I pray. I talk about it and I want to see a problem solved because there are people there not knowing who they are. There are people there living in a very difficult situation, poor, in poverty, having nothing, having 
they, they were so on the edge in the real wind next to the eye right there all the time. I think if, they, if the eye went over them, it would have been a bit better because at least you have a break. But they didn't even have that. I, f I just feel that compassion for them. And Father, I thank you for those people. I thank you, Lord, that there is help for them. How can I? I want to I help there. And then you can find ideas and things on how to get truth to those people. And that solves the true problem. Glory to God. Amen and amen. Let us pray together. Father, I want to thank you that I can come right now. And I thank you for your love and your grace towards people. I thank you for your kindness and your goodness. I thank you for the life that you have brought us. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you that you just embrace us and you love us. I thank you that you've come to solve the problem. And Jesus is the true intercessor. He's the faithful Israelite. He is the one that brought the true light. And where people were walking in darkness, you came and solved the problem. Thank you, Lord. Your arm was not far to save. And even when our hearts condemned us, you were greater than our heart. Amen, amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for watching this. And uh, this service was just a, a real family service with the air conditioner and, <laughs> and all those kind of things. And I think it just worked out perfectly. And uh, just want to say to all of our Web Church family, thank you so much for the three years of just being part of this, allowing me to serve you with this message. And uh, those of you that are from the beginning in this in this uh, web church has supported this church financially and just been part of it and just been web evangelists and all of that thank you thank you thank you you guys are awesome 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 god is only good well thank you so much and then i will see you guys again next sunday god bless <music>